I realize that for many of you, um, this is your first time here. Um, it's your first time in this room. It's your first time sort of meeting some of the faces that you met over pizza. Uh, it's your first time here in RUF, and there's a lot to take in. I know in situations like these where everything is new, uh, you don't have the capacity to make sense of all the information, and that's sort of flooding your brain, especially after those long-winded announcements. That was a lot to take in. Um, so instead, you do what scientists call uh, thin slicing. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell has a book uh, about that called Blink. See, when we meet new people, when we step into new situations like this one, we make snap judgments. Uh, we focus on very small details, a.k.a. thin slices, and in a matter of seconds, we make up our minds if this person or this place or this thing is safe or friendly, fill in the blank. Within two seconds, that's all it takes, in two seconds of meeting someone, our brain has already formed a snap judgment, and this happens subconsciously. And here's why this really matters. Okay, your snap judgments largely determine who you hang out with and who you won't hang out with, what clubs you're going to join or what clubs you're not going to join. Your snap judgments inform who you might date and then maybe marry, what teachers you like, and on the basis of that judgment, what majors you'll pursue, and so on. You see what I mean? Like, first impressions are powerful. And this week, this week of welcome, their first encounters and first impressions are happening all of the time and all around you. And in many respects, this right here is that. It's a first impression. It's a first encounter. I'm introducing myself to you. I get to introduce RUF to you. And I get to introduce a new sermon series to you tonight. As I mentioned earlier, my name is John, John Minan. I'm the campus pastor for RUF at UVM. Uh, I did not go to UVM as an undergrad, though I would have loved that. Great. Uh, instead, I went to CU Boulder, which was also good, uh, where I studied international affairs uh, and economics. I'm married. Uh, my wife, Megan, is not here tonight. Tonight is our wedding anniversary. We celebrated uh, with breakfast. Thank you. Nine years. We have a four-year-old daughter named Willa and a black lab named Fella. That's with an F. Um, we'd love for you to, have, to come over to our home, and I'd love to introduce you to them. Uh, it's, as much as I'd love to introduce you to them, I'm really excited to introduce you to RUF. Uh, RUF is a beautiful community. Um, this week we get asked a lot of questions like, what is it? And uh, there's a lot of ways that I guess you could answer that, but let me give you sort of the long answer. Um, RUF is a campus ministry here at the University of Vermont, where every student is invited to encounter Jesus, to explore the Christian faith, to enjoy community, and experience empowering change. And this right here, what we're doing tonight, is one of the ways that we do that, that we sort of fulfill that mission. Um, every Wednesday night, we eat good food together. After dinner, we regroup and refocus like we've done. We call attention to the God who's in our midst because we believe he has something to say. And we have some things to say back. Right? He's going to say some things to us from his word called the Bible. And then we get to respond in song and in prayer. And that is often how conversation with God works. Now, almost always at this point in our time together, after making some announcements and after singing some songs, we open up the Bible we read it, and I do my best to point out a thing or two about what it's saying or what it might mean for persons like you and me. 
right, living in 2019 in Burlington, Vermont, right, in the city, in the state. Tonight, right, we're kicking off a new sermon series. It's what we do at the start of the semester. It makes sense. And it's in the Gospel of Luke. Um, we're calling it the mission of God to save the world. We've got a graphic that's for that. Let's throw that up there and say, right behind it. There we go. Mission of God to save the world. In, the, in your Bible, if you have one, uh, and if you don't, we have a stack there that is our gift to you. Um, you can also get an app to look at it there. We also project it up here on the screen. But the, the Gospel of Luke is the third book in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke. And we're going to look at the first four verses uh, of the Gospel of Luke. So you can follow along any number of ways. But here's what we're going to look at tonight. Luke 1, 1 to 4. I like to read it from this. It's the same thing. So here, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. It's God's Word. So it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. That's how this book begins. Um, And that's how we'll begin uh, our series. A guy named Luke wrote these words, but we also believe that he was inspired by God to write the book that we have in our hands. And so I'm going to pray and ask that God uh, would teach us what he has to say to us from it tonight. So Father, thanks for bringing us together. Thanks for your pursuit of us here on this campus, for gathering us together, for feeding us with food. And now we pray, Lord, you'd feed us with your word. Help us to see what we need to see, to hear what we need to hear. And would you help us to just rightly apply these short four verses to our lives. Uh, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Really, there are three things that I just want, questions I want to ask and answer tonight. Is who wrote this book? Just to kind of introduce you to the author. Who did he write it for? Like, who's the audience? And what did he write it for? Like, what's the purpose or the plot? Those are just the three things that I'd like to look at it. And I think we can get all answers to all four, not for all three of those things, just by looking at these four verses. Maybe not so much the first one, who wrote this. You have to sort of infer that, right? It's a, a book called Luke, right? It wasn't written by a man named Alfonso, right? It was written by a man named Luke. Um, but what can we say about him, right? Is there anything uh, that we know? Turns out that there is, Okay. Just by way of introduction, sort of your first impression of the man who wrote this. His name is Luke. He was a friend and he was a traveling companion of a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. They were on the road together a lot. You could say that Luke appreciated a good road trip. Right? And he and Paul went on many together. They were friends. It's speculated that the two of them might have met in college. Secondly, we have several clues that Luke was a Gentile. We don't use that word a whole lot. But he didn't grow up in a Judeo-Christian home. He's what the Jews would have called a pagan. Right? He didn't grow up going to church. He didn't grow up hearing stories about Jesus. He became a Christian later in life. And he became a Christian, we have every reason to believe, through his friendship with Paul. Thirdly, we know that Luke was a doctor. Uh, we know that from Acts, and we know that from letters of Paul, in which he describes Luke as his physician. Now, it's likely that Luke studied in Tarsus, whose medical school was one of the greatest in ancient Greece. 
It's possible that Luke first met Paul uh, at this time in Tarsus. If the story were written today in 2019, Luke very well could have been a UVM med student, or he could have been in PEP, right? Bio major, like Noah. Um, He studied medicine. Uh, He studied the human body. We know from his command of the Greek language that he was very smart, that he was very well educated, that like you, he was used to long nights in the library. But we also know that as a doctor, Luke spent a lot of time with people. He wasn't just holed up in a library with his books. He was also out there on the streets. As a doctor, he was constantly moving in the direction of suffering, moving towards hurting people in order to bring hope and healing. What is interesting as we become more and more familiar with Luke and his gospel is how his background as a Gentile, but then also as a doctor, influences what he writes and how he writes it. In the Greek language, the word to save and to heal are the same word. It's the verb sozo. It means the same thing. Sozo is, means saving and it also means healing. Right? He is mighty to sozo, we, as we might have just sung, right? Here's what's cool. Luke uses this verb more than anybody else in the New Testament. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the person who talks about saving and healing the most in the Bible was himself a doctor. And he's going to want to talk to us about a man who called himself a great physician, Jesus, who came to seek and to save the lost and who came to make sinners well again. That's one of the things we're going to hear a lot about in Luke's gospel. Indeed, hope and healing and salvation are all major themes in the book that we're about to read. So we're going to learn more about Luke, and we're going to learn more about his companion Paul next semester as we read through the book of Acts. But I'm telling all of this to you now so that you can form a first impression, so that you can get a sense of the man whose book we're going to be reading all year long. I think you have a lot in common with him. The second question that I just want to ask and really sort of answer from our text is who is Luke writing to? Who is his audience? We can reread uh, verses 1 to 4. It won't take long. It says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, we can jump to verse 3, it seemed good to me, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. We've already identified the me, right? Who is the me in this verse? That's Luke, right? But who's the person named at the very end of this verse, the one who goes by the name Theophilus? We can call him Theo for short, okay? The exact identity of Theo has been widely debated, but there are a few things that we can be certain of. First, Luke calls him most excellent Theophilus in this verse, doesn't he? In this passage, which suggests that Theo was well educated like Luke was, and he might have come from some privilege. Maybe he was upper or middle class. Secondly, like Luke, Theo was almost certainly a Gentile. And what that means is that Theo, too, didn't grow up in a Jewish or a Christian home. Okay, Theo didn't grow up going to church. 
the Christian faith is relatively new to him. Okay, in verse 4, we know that it's not entirely new to him. It's relatively new. It's not entirely new. He's heard some things. He's maybe even put his faith and trust in Jesus. He might have even joined a church. But something prompts Luke to write to him. Well, maybe Theo isn't entirely sure what to make of Jesus. Who is he really? Right, what does it mean to faithfully follow after him in his time, in his place? Or maybe Theo's still not sure if he actually needs to join the church. See, after all, Theo is seeing a new community spring up and take root right before his very eyes. The church was then and is now today a place of unlikely friendship. People of different races and of different classes and of different gender, which was radical back then, they weren't just hanging out with one another. Right? They were calling each other names like brother and sister. And they're identifying as family and they're addressing one another as equals. Okay, this wasn't just weird for that time and place. It was revolutionary. And for all of these and a few other, reason, a few other reasons, this burgeoning community called the church was coming under fire and persecution. And maybe Theo is wondering, is being a Christian worth it? Is being a part of the church worth it if it means that I'm going to get hurt? All that is to say... If we had to put Theo in a box, Theo, right, Theophilus, he's either a seeker trying to make up his mind if he's a Christian or not. He's either a seeker or a skeptic, or he's a baby Christian, and he's taking his first steps and following after Jesus. But either way, no matter what box he lands in, he needs help. He's got questions that need to be answered. His fledgling faith really does need some nurturing and encouragement. And I think almost everything about Theophilus could be said about everyone in this room. I'm just going to venture a guess. Say that what's true of Theophilus is almost true of every one of you here tonight. And unless you grew up in a Jewish home, you are a Gentile just like Theo was. We all have that in common. Everyone here is well-educated. You got into college. You're on your way to becoming better educated. Right? Everyone here comes from privilege. Going to college is a privilege. Right? It's a really special opportunity. But you have other things in common with Theo, too. See, like Theo, you've heard some things about Jesus. You might not know a ton about Jesus or the Bible or the Christian faith, but you're not entirely clueless either. Right? You know enough about Jesus to be here tonight. You've heard some things, like Theo has. You're here. Like Theo, you're trying to make sense of a few things. Is Jesus who he says he is? And what would it mean to follow him and to be faithful to him? in this time and in this place? What would it mean for me to join a church? What's more, you're wrestling with those questions in the midst of a pluralistic culture where not everyone believes the same things as you. 
Like in a marketplace of ideas, and there's lots of things on the menu. That was true of Theo. It's true of you too. It's especially true of you here at UVM. So you're asking these questions in a context that is suspicious of this countercultural faith. An environment that makes faith in Jesus difficult, to say the least. See, point after point, you and Theo, Theophilus are in lockstep with one another. And I think it's safe to add this too, that just like Theo, right, you need some clarity, and you need some certainty, and you need some encouragement along the way. So to summarize what we said so far, this book was written by the likes of you for the likes of you. Which brings us to our third and final point for tonight. Okay, what's it for? Like, what's it about? What's the purpose and the plot of the story that we're going to be looking at all semester long? There are two words that I want to zero in on tonight. The first word is the word accomplished. You see that in verse one. Uh, And the second word is certainty, which we see in verse four. Okay, the word accomplished in verse one gives us a clue into the nature of the story that Luke is about to tell. Yes, it's a story about Jesus, but this is no ordinary story, and Jesus is no ordinary man. The gospel, the good news message that Luke writes, is a story about God's mission to save the world. And that mission centers, right, it revolves around this man named Jesus, and that mission was accomplished. There you have it, the word right there in verse 1. Okay, the mission's been accomplished. As you'll see this semester and the next, right, there is no kind of person the gospel cannot reach. There is no boundary it cannot cross. See, God, the one who spoke the universe into existence, he is constantly crossing lines. He is constantly leaving his comfort zones in order to bring hope and healing to those on the other side of the aisle to rebels and refugees like you and me. See, God is on a mission to make outsiders insiders. He's on a mission to turn strangers into family and enemies into friends. He's on a mission to heal the wounded and to make us wounded healers. He's on a mission to bring hope to the hopeless and color to the gray scale. But secondly, and just as importantly, a mission to send us out as salt and light in the midst of a dark and dying world. Fall and spring, Luke and Acts, are all about the mission and the commission of God. God giving us hope and then making us hope givers. God giving us health and then making us healers. God giving us Christ and then making us Christians. Mission accomplished and accomplishing the mission are the stories that we're going to be looking at fall and spring. But to what end? Right? For what purpose? We see that in verses 3 to 4. Here, Luke writes, It seemed good to me, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Certainty. See, Luke has written all of these things so that you can be sure that Jesus is worth your time, Jesus is worth your energy, and Jesus is worth your worship. Luke essentially is saying, read what I've written. 
See the facts on which Christianity is based. Test it out. And you will discover something firm and solid and absolutely trustworthy here. Right? A sure, a certain right foundation for faith. Luke wants very much to introduce you to the person of Jesus. He really wants for you to spend time with him, right, to get in his word. And not just hear Luke's words about Jesus, but to hear Jesus' words, like right from the source. Because here's the thing. What is ultimately going to convince you about the truth of Jesus isn't going to be my opinion or somebody else's opinion. What is ultimately going to convince you of the truth of Jesus is when you get to hear from him himself. And in order to do that, in order to meet with Jesus and to hear from Jesus directly, you need to spend time with him in his word. You got to do what we're doing on Wednesday nights and at small groups. You got to listen to what he has to say from his pages. But secondly, what's more, right, this needs to happen in community. You see, when Luke wanted to give Theophilus certainty about the things he had been taught, he wrote a book about Jesus, and that's true. But we often overlook this fact. Okay, the book that was handed over to Theophilus was absolutely 100% read out loud and debated and discussed in the context of a community that was seeking to follow after Jesus. Theophilus was not reading this book alone, by himself, in lonely isolation in his dorm room. Theophilus was reading this book with other people. He was making sense of who Jesus is and was, and the Christian life, he was doing that with his friends. And what is true of Theophilus is going to be true of you as well. If you want certainty about the things that you've been taught, Certainty about the truths of Jesus, as well as the livability of the Christian life. You're going to need God's word, and you're going to need God's people too. Because you can't do this alone. And you were never meant to. The plot and the purpose of this book are very similar to what we are aiming for here in RUF. Here in RUF, we want to introduce you to Jesus. We want you to fall in love with him. We want you to trust him. I want to encourage you and to help you in your walk with him. And that is why I invite you tonight to read this book with me and to read this book with us. I invite you to be a part of this community, to not go on this faith journey alone. I invite you to come to the fair with us tomorrow. And come get ice cream with us on Friday. And go on a hike with us on Saturday. And then come to my house and let's eat together at 63 Green. Barbecue. Let's have fun. I also invite you to come back next Wednesday as we continue sort of the story. And if you like what you are seeing here and you're hearing here, if you're tasting and seeing that God is good, invite a friend too. Because here's the thing. While this food is for you, it's not just for you. It's an elaborate feast that God wants to invite others into as well. There's room at the table. There's seats available. There's room for your friends. We could set some more out, okay? 
So if you're tasting and seeing that God is good here, invite your friends. Let them have a taste. Let them have a see as well. Y'all, Luke is a book by the likes of you, which is for the likes of you. It is a story about God's mission accomplished to save the world. And I am convinced that as we spend time in it together, you too right, will be certain of the truths of Jesus. That's all I gotta say. That's my introduction to you, our first impression. So I hope you'll join us again next week. Let's pray.